Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 welcome. That's four. That's a clue. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. Have we got a show for you today? Let me see what the buzz on the street is. Oh, I have a quote from Lily Tomlin. You know who she is. She has said, I refuse to be intimidated by reality anymore. What is reality? Nothing but a collective hunch. And the key word in there, the one is reality, the other word is hunch. So welcome to the digital era where new technology terminology and hype and interpretations are bombarding us every minute of every day when we're working, when we're playing, when we're at home, wherever we are. Think about collective hunch. Maybe you have a hunch what it means. Maybe you don't. If you're looking into a hot, swirling bowl of alphabet soup, you might see IOT, ML, AI, big data, and you might even see the letters that spell out blockchain. Oh my, what do they mean? How will they impact your company, your customers, your business partners, your everyday lifestyle? We're not sure, but we have a panel who's going to help us figure it all out. So our topic today is the state of innovation 2018, fluff versus fact baloney versus beef, ignore versus ignite. I put those all in on the title that my panelists were not expecting. Let me tell you who's going to be on with me today, and then we'll get started with our opening quotes. First up, in just a moment, I'll be introducing you to Tom Raftery, my colleague at SAP. He's a global vice president. Joining him on the panel is Dion Hinchcliffe, VP and analyst at Constellation Research. Shout out to Ray Wong and everybody at Constellation who've been on the show years ago. Joining us is a newcomer, Tamara McClellan. Leary. She's the CEO of a company called Thulium, and we will ask her to tell us what she does. And rounding out the panel, yes, it's a packed house today, Jim Harris, management consultant specializing in disruption, and we will find out what he does. So welcome to our panelists. Let's circle around the table to Mr. Tom Raftery, who wears amazing hats every day. I've seen his picture, and I met him in person. You want to meet Tom, and you'll know him by the hat. And he has sent us a quote from Nikola Tesla. This quote was from an interview with Tesla in Collier's Magazine back in 1926. The name of the article was, or the interview was, When Woman is Boss by a writer named John B. Kennedy. Tesla was 68 years old at the time. By the way, he lived from 1856 to 1943. Serbian-American inventor, electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, physicist, and futurist. He designed the modern alternating current electricity supply system and a lot more. You know the name Tesla. Here's the quote. When wireless is perfectly applied, the whole earth will be converted into a huge brain, which in fact it is, all things being particles of a real and rhythmic whole. Tom Raftery, what an amazing quote. How are you? Hey, Bonnie, how are you doing? Great to, great to be on the show. Thanks for inviting me back. Well, I have to thank you for helping to put together this topic in this wonderful panel. I'm very excited to meet the people you brought me. But first, tell me, how did you pick this quote from Tesla? So as, as you mentioned, I'm an Internet, Internet of Things evangelist for SAP, but I'm also a futurist. I do a lot of predictions for the future, right? Or I, I, at least I call myself a futurist. But typically when I'm, when I'm doing predictions or uh, talks looking into the future and visionary stuff, I talk about a, a kind of a 10-year horizon. But when I come across a quote like that from Nikola Tesla, it just blows me away because he talks about the Internet of Things, which is, you know, it, it's a new term for us. But he was he was predicting it back in 1926. It just mm-hmm. it blows my mind that the guy had such vision. It really, really does. That's why I love that quote, and that's why I said I'd bring it to your attention and and, and use it to kick off the show. I, I love the idea, Tom, that we're <laughs> we're one huge brain, and and that implies smart, savvy, knowledgeable, retaining information. Do you think we are one huge brain, or do you think everybody's doing their their part to contribute to that? Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where I'm going with that, but what do you think? <laughs> I think we are. I, I think as we are becoming more and more connected and we're sharing information mm-hmm. more and more, both as people and as devices, then yes, we are becoming a far smarter global organism, which blows me away. 
I like that global organism. Great comment. Thank you, Tom, again for putting this together. And now let's go to our second panelist. He is Dion Hinchcliffe. And wait till you all hear where our panelists are today. We've got a truly global group. Dion is with Constellation Research, and he has sent us a quote from Joseph Campbell. Let me do a little background here, Dion, before I read the quote. Joseph John Campbell, 1904 to 1987, American mythologist who worked in comparative mythology and comparative religion. His magnum opus is his book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, published in 1949. You may never have heard of the book. You may never have heard of him. But here is something you may have heard. The phrase, follow your bliss, that comes from Joseph Campbell. Aha. So here's the quote Diana selected. Quote, We must let go of the life we have planned so as to accept the one that is waiting for us. I like that. Dion, welcome. How are you today? Well, thanks, uh, Bonnie, for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to it. Um, uh, Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, The the, the quote uh, meant uh, a lot to me because we see this. The challenge really is uh, as, you know, everything becomes digitized and technologically enabled. It's a very democratizing force, and we live in this kind of age of self-actualization, Yeah, we also have the sense that our journey, both as businesses and people, are very linear. Uh, And traditionally, it has been. We've been able to plan our careers and plan the future of our organizations. And that's just not true today. We have so many more possibilities. Um, And I think the quote really lets us tap into the fact that life isn't really going to be what we expected, but it's actually going to be a lot better enabled primarily, in my view, through technology. I like that. Dion, tell me, do you have you been familiar with the fact that Campbell is the source of follow your bliss? Do you follow your bliss, Dion? I have a feeling you do. <laughs> I certainly try to. You know, I <laughs> Again, you know, digital is a big piece of that. Um, but I think you know, travel and communications and everything allows us to live lives we never could have before, never even could have imagined before. So, yeah, I, I definitely follow my bliss. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Very happy. And be sure to say hello to everybody at Constellation from me. We want to get some of them back, uh, Alan and Ray and, and Holger. I'd love to have them all back on Game Changers this year. So please deliver that message. And thank you. We'll find out in a few minutes where you are and what's in your cup today. Now, our third guest is Tamara McCleary, CEO of Thulium. And I'll ask you when we get to where you're calling from, Tamara, to tell us about your company. But Tamara sent us a very interesting quote from George Eliot. Now, if anybody wants to know who George Eliot is, I certainly did. George Eliot is really a woman. Mary Ann Evans went by Mary Ann with or without the Eon and and Marion, pen name George Eliot. Uh, she was an English novelist, poet, journalist, translator, and a leading writer of the Victorian era. Lived from 1819 to 1880. She may have been ahead of her time, and I think that's why Tamara selected the quote. She wrote Adam Bede, The Mill on the Floss, Silas Marner, come on, somebody must have studied that in school, Middlemarch, Daniel Deronda. But what's interesting is that she used a male pen name because she wanted to make sure her work was taken seriously. Female authors published under their own female names during her lifetime had a stereotype of being limited to writing lighthearted romances. Tamara, this is like the the future is today is hitting us in the face from the past of, of what was said about her. I thought that was very interesting. Here's the quote. It's never too late to be what you might have been. Tamara McClearly, welcome. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Bonnie. That was fantastic. You're so brilliant to have picked up on all that. (laughs) I absolutely dig this quote for myriad reasons. And one of them is, we haven't really come all that far, baby. I mean, right now we're writing a fiction, uh, science fiction thriller. And I've been told by numerous agents that I should publish underneath a what sounds to be a male name because people don't buy science fiction thrillers from women authors wow 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 <laughs> yeah still. but did 13, you did you know 18 or 1818 not sure I, I know I was fascinated I told you when I met you on our prep call Tamara a few days ago that I look up and validate all of the sources of the quotes and when I read this I said there's got to be multiple reasons why Tamara picked on George Eliot but what's interesting to me is there's also another reason I don't know if you know it but she was having a, uh, a scandalous let's just call it relationship with a married man and she was afraid if she used her her real name people would 
shine the spotlight on what she was doing behind those closed doors. So that was another reason she hid behind. I thought it was just wonderful. Whoever researched her for, for Wikipedia obviously did a really, really good job. So thank you very much, Tamara. We'll be talking to you a lot. Love your energy, and I'm glad you enjoyed my, my background check on, on your author. Appreciate that. And now let's talk to Jim Harris, management consultant. I think he specializes in disruption. He'll tell us a little bit about his company later. Uh, Jim has selected a quote from George Bernard Shaw and an interesting sidebar, Jim, about George Bernard Shaw is he only wanted to be called Bernard Shaw. He didn't like the name George, not at all. 1856 to 1950, Irish playwright, critic, polemicist, I don't know what that means, and political activist who held both Irish and British citizenship. He wrote more than 60 plays, including Man and Superman, Pygmalion, we know that as My Fair Lady. Come on, everybody can hum along. I won't sing, I promise. And St. Joan. He became the leading dramatist of his generation, and he won the 1925 Nobel Prize in Literature. Here is the quote. It's a famous one. Everybody listen up. The reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. And we're going to have to put woman in there, too. Jim Harris, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Great, Bonnie. Great to be on the show. We are delighted to have you talk to me. Did you know that he didn't like the name George? Did you come across that in your readings, Jim? No, I didn't know that, but uh, that makes sense for him. Okay. Tell, tell me about the quote. Who's reasonable? Who's unreasonable? We're talking about innovation. We're talking about 2018. We're at the top of a brand new year. We're, we're already a month into a new year. My goodness, do the math. So who's reasonable? Who's unreasonable today? Jim, give me a little interpretation, please. Well, you know, I think about uh, we tend to accept things the way they are. So, for instance, if I'm going to take a taxi, I accept the fact that if I lose the little slip of paper, my accounts uh, payable department isn't going to reimburse me. You know, I accept the fact that the uh, taxi cab driver is going to tell me his credit card machine isn't working because he only gets paid by the taxi company 21 days later. I'm going to accept the fact that the cab company can't tell me when the car is exactly going to arrive. I'm going to accept the fact that I have to stand out in the rain because otherwise someone will take my taxi and I'm on a deadline. I just accept the world as it is. And therefore, all innovation, disruption, comes from companies that understand the pain points of the customer and create something like Uber. And then I go, oh, my God, Uber's amazing because I don't have to stand in the rain and wait for my cab to come because I can see on my smartphone when it's arriving. And so, therefore, disruptive innovation is really being driven by people who will not accept the status quo, who are disenfranchised or upset with the way we're delivered products, services, and business models. And therefore, it is unreasonable people who change the world because they don't know any better and they're unwilling to accept the status quo. That was eloquent, Mr. Harris. That was absolutely eloquent. I appreciate that. And, you know, a lot of people, we all know this. I'm addressing this to the whole panel. A lot of people just complain. This doesn't work, and that doesn't work, and he didn't say this, and she didn't do that, and I didn't get my receipt, and the serviceman didn't come, and the servicewoman didn't call me, and they didn't do this. Complain and complain and complain and complain. But you're right, Jim. It's the unreasonable person who says, wait a minute, that's not Okay, the status quo sucks, and I need to be the one to do something about it. It's that action. Is there a gene called taking action, Jim? Just quickly, what do you think? Uh, Taking action is what it's all about. Disruption is about not accepting the status quo and taking action to create new products, new services, new business processes, and delight customers. You got it. Absolutely. I think the show is over. I think we nailed it. Okay. We're going to, everybody go home. I'm only teasing. Let's go around the table to Tom Raftery. This is the part of the show called What's in Your Cup Today. We have great energy, Tom. You really came through with a great panel. I can tell they're all primed and ready to share a lot of great insights. Dion, we're going to talk to you next. Dion Hinchcliffe, you are calling from somewhere. Tell us where you are today and what are you drinking or what's your favorite drink? Well, Bonnie, I'm uh, today I'm in the uh, ancient city of Istanbul, also known as Constantinople and uh, Byzantium, a 2,700-year-old city. Um, 
it's still very uh, modern in some ways, and uh, it's amazing. The digital payments here are more advanced than what we have uh, uh, back at home. Uh, what's in my cup today? Um, I wish I could say it was Turkish coffee, which is the, the big drink here, uh, but I'm using the hotel's Nespresso machine, which is actually one of my very favorite ways of getting coffee, and I have one a machine back at home, and it makes some of the, the best European-style coffee that I know. Wow, very interesting. That's rare for somebody to talk about a good coffee machine in a hotel. I I think that's great. You must be staying. You know, when you mentioned Istanbul, Byzantine, and Constantinople, is anybody on this call? I, I know Tom dropped. I'm sure he'll. We're calling him back. Um, and he's in Germany today, by the way. Does anybody remember the song Istanbul, Constantinople? Tamara, you're probably way too young. Jim, do you remember it or no, uh, or do. Dion? You don't. Jim, do you remember it? Oh, Istanbul, yeah, Constantinople. Da, 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 da. Okay, I, I always promise not to sing on the show. and It just, just creeps in once in a while. I apologize to everybody. So uh, let's talk to Tamara McCleary. Tamara, where are you today? And this is the time we'd love to know what Thulium is, when you started it, what you do. Why don't you give us a two-minute intro, please? Sure, yeah. Today I'm in New York City and... Uh, Thulium is a global digital marketing agency, but we're kind of special in that we focus solely on social media strategy, social media messaging, analytics, and influencer marketing. Um, so that's, that's my little spiel with our company. It's, um, it's exciting, and uh, I'm drinking Earl Grey, but you know what I really wish I was drinking, Bonnie? Uh-uh. Maybe a bottle of uh, Taste of Diamonds or something. <laughs> Okay, that's one we've never heard. Tamara, over a 1,000 shows, about 4,000 guests, six and a half years of radio. What in the world is Taste of Diamonds? It's, uh, it's only a little over $2 million bottle of champagne. So you want to put it with me, Bonnie? <laughs> Actually, I don't want to tell you this, Tamara, but it's the world's most expensive champagne worth $1.8 million. <laughs> Hey, you know what? I say go big or go home, baby. I'll, I'll go in for I'll go in for twenty five bucks. How much do you think we can get the rest of the panel to contribute? We'll draw up a sponsorship and then we'll drink it live on TV. How's that? That is fine. It's called Goo de Diamant. It's a Superman style signature champagne. Goo is taste de diamant, taste of diamonds. There's a, you must be very impressed with my French Goo de Diamant. Okay, we'll just leave that one alone. Now I have something to aspire to later in life, Tamara. Thank you very much. And <laughs> stop that, Jim Harris. We'd love to know what do you do? What's your business? And where are you? And what do you love to drink? So, uh, Bonnie, I'm in Toronto right now, and what I do is uh, I work with executives and executive teams all around the world on disruptive innovation. I speak at a lot of conferences and seminars globally and uh, do strategic planning sessions. Uh, So disruption is affecting all organizations these days. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, we've already talked about Uber, but Uber in North America is worth more than every taxi cab company added together. So that's really disruptive to the taxi industry. And I'm right now sitting here drinking coffee. Um, so I was interested to hear about uh, Turkish coffee. Uh, I'm drinking coffee, and I'm thinking, you know, I've, I've been watching that show, Comedians in Cars with Coffee. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking our show today on the air is Futurists <laughs> with Coffee on Air. You know, <laughs> I could say floating on air. You're making me so happy, all of you. We're just floating on air. There you go. And and interestingly enough, that goes back to my opening, uh, to- calling this episode the State of Innovation 2018: Fluff versus Fact, Baloney versus Beef, Ignore versus Ignite. I think I covered quite a wide range there. Guess what? We have Tom Raftery back. Tom, sorry your phone dropped. We have you back. Why don't you tell us where you are and what your favorite drink is? Because we really want to know. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Sorry about that. But yes, I am back. It's okay. And, and uh, where am I? Today I am in Waldorf, Germany, because I was visiting SAP, giving some training sessions to some people there. And uh, what am I drinking right now? Uh, I'm in my hotel room because I figured that was the best place to get some peace and quiet to make this call or to make this show. And I'm drinking a bottle of complimentary sparkling water that's in the room. But that's obviously not my favorite drink. My favorite drink, as you well know, is beer. And last night, and hopefully again tonight, I went out and I had some fabulous German Dunkel beer. 
some dark German beer. Germans are really good at making beer. And you know what? I like consuming it. <laughs> Listen, there is no business if there is no audience, no customer, no consumer. So you are doing your part for the ecosystem of the world, Tom. And I applaud you for that. You missed a little bit. Uh, the German economy. <laughs> there, hey. We're all supposed to live in a, a concept of abundance that we're allowed to share, we're allowed to consume, we're allowed to contribute, we're allowed to put what we make back into the economy. It's global, and if you want to drink it, that's just fine with us. So thank you very much. You missed uh, Dion's comments on where he He's in Istanbul, by the way, and I tried not to sing Istanbul as Constantinople, a song from way back when. Uh, Tamara doesn't remember the song, and Jim swears he doesn't either. So guess what? Everybody deserves a break. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And I plan to be after the break having a little too much fun here. We're talking about the State of Innovation 2018. We're sort of at the top of the year. We're looking down deep into 2018. We just finished five weeks of our prediction special, but we're focusing now on new technology. Do you know the terminology? Do you care? What does it mean to you, your company, your family, your world, your culture, your neighborhood? Is it important? What does it really tell you about where we may be going? We have a lot to discuss. Tom Raftery, Dion Hinchcliffe, Tamara McCleary, Jim Harris. They're on the panel, and I'm very happy to be speaking with them. So here's what I always tell you, and it's true. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back. 90 seconds. Count them along with me. Aaron, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com follow the voice america talk radio network on twitter we're at voice america trn you'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows this week's featured guests and general happenings that you should know about at the voice america talk radio network now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office just go to twitter.com forward slash voice america trn or follow along with us at voice america trn the voice america talk radio network we're on the cutting edge of social media can you keep up we're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And we're back. Great panel, great topic. Innovation, State of Innovation 2018. Speaking with Tom Raftery at SAP, Diane Hinchcliffe at Constellation Research, Tamara McCleary at Tamara McCleary, Thulium, and Jim Harris at Jim Harris. And I have to do a quick shout out to my colleague, a new intern at SAP named Jane Liu. And Jane is just tweeting the heck out of the show. And Jane, we're very happy that you're capturing a lot of what's happening on air. And we're tweeting at hashtag SAPRAD. 
D-I-O. Dion, thank you for the pre-show tweet. We appreciate that, too. Time for the roundtable. I'm looking at the notes from Tom Raftery, and let's start here, and then we'll go around the table. Tom says, 2018 will be the year organizations realize that data is the new iron, I-R-O-N, that they can mine it, they can smelt it, and they can craft all kinds of interesting things from it. Tom, provocative. Talk to me. Go ahead. Sure. So you know, Bonnie, that I'm a former uh, clean tech energy and sustainability analyst. So while some people might say data is the new oil, the word oil is kind of anathema to me. So I prefer data is the new iron. Uh, we do, we, we, we mine iron, we smelt it, and we create all kinds of interesting things from it. Airplanes, cars, x-ray machines, uh, MRIs, etc., etc. This is what organizations are going to do now. They're going to be looking at all the data coming in from all the myriad of devices that are coming online and starting to be connected. And they'll start to take that information and do amazing things with it. We have an example that I came across recently of a company that makes uh, connected cars. And they were approached by a weather organization. And the weather organization said, you're collecting data from cars. We'd like to take some of that data, anonymized, and use it to see what the outside air temperature of your cars are and what the windscreen wiper status of your cars are so we can get micro-local information on weather globally. I mean, it was, a, it was a use case that the car company had never, ever thought of. And now they're able to get an extra revenue stream coming from that. So data is the new iron. Very interesting. We've heard similar phrases, new oil, new gold, new air. So I'm, I was very, that's why I picked that topic from your list, Tom, because I've, I've never heard that, the new iron. Appreciate that. Dion Hinchcliffe, love to get your thoughts on what Tom just shared. Agree or disagree? Oh no, I totally agree. Uh, the uh, the real challenge is that you know we've been spending you know billions as organizations globally to capture data about our business you know in, inside our IT systems, um, and we don't leverage most of it. We haven't been able to take advantage of it. We haven't had the tools or the keys to the castle, uh, and so there's this this whole conversation around dark data that we have so much of it, and it, and it is trapped in a lot of these systems, and and the, and the Leaders of the future are going to be able to take this information, be able to mine it, and be able to, to, to actionalize it in a way that uh, we haven't been able to in the past. And I, I call this, this concept data supremacy, knowing what your organization truly knows, being able to fully capitalize on the data that it has access to uh, in order to be able to delight your customers, uh, in order to be able to, to out-compete uh, the market. And, and this is what, where I see that uh, it's this focus, you know, you need these concepts like you know, data is new iron, to be able to operationalize and get the right mindset of what do we really need to do, where do we need to invest. So, you know, I, I think this is this is the topic to your other organizations around the world. Thank you. Interesting, Dion. You're the second person in the last few minutes to mention delighting your customers. I think that's a theme we might have to pick up somewhere in the conversation. Tamara, we'd love to hear what you think. Is it the new iron? What do you call data? I love it. I love the way Tom said it's the new iron. You know, because if data is the new iron, I think artificial intelligence and machine learning is the new factory, right? Because just as much as iron is valuable, it's not valuable unless we actually create something out of it. And we are now at a computing capacity, which I think is going to get even wilder if we get into quantum computing. But we're at a capacity now where we can take the data and get meaningful insights out of it, like Tom was explaining and so was Dion. So um, I'm saying yes. Yes, and uh, hold on, fasten your seatbelts, because this is going to get to be even a wilder ride. I like that. Are we talking the wild, wild west or the wild, wide front, wild, wide frontier from a spaceship somewhere? What, what do you think? Is this, is this grounded in where we are, or are we, we going new frontiers, Tamara? <laughs> I'm saying look ahead. Uh, look behind, we gather insights, yes, but um, all bets are off. It's not about what we knew or what we think we know now. But it's about being open to being bedazzled and completely amazed and fascinated by what's coming. And I think it's even somewhat beyond our imagination. So um, wild, wild frontier yet unexplored. I like that. A lot of good words in there. And Jim Harris, of course, we need to know what you think. Do you agree, the new iron? Absolutely, the new iron. And I agree with Tamara that uh, we need to have meaningful insights. Uh, what I want to overlay on this is we need to move to real-time organizations. So what does that mean? Well, think about 
our bodies. Imagine, Bonnie, you took an antibiotic this morning that had a bizarre side effect, a 15-second muscular delay. So from the moment your mind says move your hand until your hand moves on the wheel of your car, there's a 15-second delay. You know, how effective a driver would you be? Mm-hmm. Not. You know, not at all. You'd be dead. Well, how do our organizations work? Quarterly financial statements, annual appraisals for employees, if you're lucky. We are so antiquated. So, yes, we have this iron. Yes, we need meaningful insights out of it. But organizations must move to real-time operations. Like, our body says a 15-second delay is completely unacceptable to live in this world. So organizations have to move using all this data to becoming real-time organizations, making decisions on how to pivot, how to add new value, how to segment our customer bases in real time. Thank you, Jim. I'm very much appreciative. And no, I didn't take antibiotics. And no, I'm not driving. And yes, I'm glad that everything is working in real time. Great, great points. Thank you. Tom Raftery, I'm going to ask you to quickly wrap this up. I have already picked something from Dion's notes I'm ready to progress to. So what do you think, Tom? Any comments for Tamara and Jim and Dion? No, they all made fantastic points, and uh, I'm just delighted to see that uh, they, they all agree. But, I mean, it, it, it was an obvious one anyway. I mean, it is da- data is the new iron. Data is the thing that we are going to be creating lots of new insights from and creating lots of – and using to make, make even better decisions moving forward. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted with everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Well, you, you picked the panel. Uh, by the way, Tamara and Jim and Dion, Tom kept saying to me, <laughs> These people are really great. You're going to love them. They are so good. And he delivered. There you go. So, Tom, wear the hat. You, you were in the hat. So now let's go to something Dion, Dion sent me. I'm, I'm trying really hard here. This is an interesting comment here. I think it's also provocative. Dion says, much of our work in applying technology to business has in the big picture been largely accidental. Now we're seeing that the purposeful design at the core of our organizations using digital concepts and technologies is where the winners are coming from. So, Diane, I want you to tell us more, but I'd love to go back to the comment about the unreasonable man is the one or a woman who makes the changes and pushes the envelope and bursts open the status quo. So, Diane, talk to us. Yeah, well, no, I think uh, Jim's comment is right. It's, it, it's those who are unwilling to accept the status quo uh, and are willing to uh, brave the headwinds of, of public opinion and and, and 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 fail. Right, the risk is that uh, the unreasonable uh, person can fail as well. Uh, but without doing that, you know, uh, without those hundred uh, hundred experiments, you can't find that one nugget of gold. So I think it's that's the mindset we have to have today uh, in, in these, these kind of non-linear times. We don't have this progression. We don't know what's coming next. We know that things aren't going to continue the way that they are, so we, we have to call upon ourselves to be unreasonable, so I think that's smart. Uh, but, but going back to th- that quote, uh, we've been accumulating you know, technology inside of our organizations for years, uh, but usually at a, at a more tactical level. I, I want to automate some business process. I want to use productivity tools uh, to improve mm-hmm. my, my work. Um, I, I want to be able to, to connect and engage with my customers, but usually through a particular channel. And we've accumulated all of these things, and, and they've become... A, a kind of a weight upon us. They're, they're relatively disorganized and disconnected, and our customers expect more from us. And you kind of new um, the internet startups who are rethinking everything from the ground up. They don't have any preconceived notions. They haven't accumulated all these things. They are really putting these powerful new concepts at the core of what they do and make them very purposeful instead of the largely accidental um, experiences and technologies that we've accumulated in our organization. So we have to rethink, and, and like Jim says, we have to be unreasonable. I like that. I like that. Very, very interesting. You know, if you think of conversations around, we used to call it the water cooler. I don't know if any of you remember that. Uh, conversations, well, I don't like this and I'm going to do something about it. And people look at this person and say, yeah, right, go home, have another beer, go visit Tom, get him to tell you how to pick a hat, have a good time. You're not going to do anything. We're looking for those unreasonable people and now we're celebrating. Great conversational opener there, Diane Tamara McClearly. Love to get your thoughts. What do you think? I, I absolutely, totally jazzed about this conversation. 
Um, I think, you know, the unreasonable person is asking the question, um, how do we, how do we truly innovate and reinvent ourselves? And the one thing, the bottom line is companies, all companies now, all businesses are technological companies. So turning it inside out, you know, the best reference I can think of is Tesla, the company Tesla. And Tesla CEO Elon Musk, you know, would tell you that in fact, you know, his business with Tesla isn't an automotive company. It's, you know, it's a, um, it's a technology company, right, which built, which just happens to build automobiles, but it's a tech company. So, you know, it's rethinking what we thought we knew. And um, I think that, you know, this is the age when all businesses need to rethink themselves and their workforce with the, the thought in mind that they are a technology company first, which happens to produce X product or service. Thank you very much. Very good insights. Jim Harris, you're up. Talk to me. Well, I agree with uh, Tamara that uh, Tesla isn't a car company. It's a battery company. It's a storage company that also happens to make cars. And by the way, they're very sexy cars. And if you actually look at Tesla's market cap, Mm -hmm. Tesla only produced 100,000 cars last year in 2017, and it's uh, worth more than General Motors, which produced 10 million cars last year. So the market knows how to value innovation. And CEOs and executives who are measured and compensated based on their market cap or value really need to pay attention to disruptive innovation. Because when you can have a company come out of left field like Tesla and be more, worth more than GM, it is a big two-by-four to the heads of executives at GM to get serious, finally, about electric vehicles. And they can now begin the eight-year development process of getting EVs out. So you cannot wait uh, for innovation to clobber you. You have mm-hmm. to get innovative yourself. In other words, you have to disrupt yourself or wait for someone else to do it on your behalf, in which case you're going to be decimated. Interesting. We just did a show on the season debut, Jim, of our series called Startup Focus with Game Changers yesterday. And the topic was the disruptor's dilemma. And, of course, we referenced Clayton Christensen's book, The Innovator's Dilemma. But one of the questions on the table was, does an an established company, we call them incumbents, do they wait for newcomers to come and smash down the doors of windows and say, ah, we came up with a new idea. What were you waiting for? We're going to take over your market. Or should established companies look inside set up something like an incubator, self-fund, see what's coming down the pike, get ready on their own timetable, and then disrupt themselves instead of perhaps acquiring or having to collaborate with an outside company. Let me leave that one alone, but I just wanted to mention this is a topic we cover a lot. Diane, I'm going to let you wrap this one up because I'm ready to bring in some notes from Tamara, also very, very controversial. Go ahead, Diane. Thoughts? Well, I would just like to to wrap up by uh, adding that so we have to become much more purposeful around innovation and putting it uh, more closely in the core of what we do. And the problem is that large organizations just aren't good at accepting failure yet. We know that the venture capital industry expects eight out of ten of their investments to fail because digital is so intangible. The future is, is so unknown. What works, for, you know, what's proven, uh, uh, we're still learning about how to build these, these types of organizations. And so... We have to bridge that gap, and this is what innovation uh, as purposeful by design instead of being accidental. That is the path forward for organizations, and they really have to change their mindset and culture around that, or they just you know, simply won't be able to survive. Thank you very much. I'm going to move ahead. We're trying to call Tom back, and I'm going to move ahead. Tamara, I have something here in your notes that just over the top, as far as I'm concerned, love to get your thoughts. You say organizations tout the word agile from a marketing megaphone using word du jour PR messaging such as innovative solutions, AI-enabled, and disruptive technology. But in reality, many companies leave us confused about their differentiation and real-world problems they're uniquely solving. I'm going to stop there. Tamara, this is interesting. What do you think? Well, I think that, you know, we are all, all of us out there in this industry, uh, sometimes we are overwhelmed with the amount of buzzwords that we see and hear from organizations and conferences. And 
you know, in the end, it really is about um, show us the money, right? You, you've seen the movie with Jerry Maguire where yeah. it's like, show me the money. Oh, yeah. So, you know, how is your innovative AI solution actually working? And it seems that everyone is attaching the word AI to every product and service they have. <laughs> and, you know, certainly artificial intelligence is cutting edge with and coming along. But a lot of these organizations really are not innovative. They're not innovating. And I think that What's happening now, at least with the organizations that I see, is that they are running to try to stay ahead. So they're throwing technology at problems without really understanding how they're going to measure the efficacy of the technology they're throwing at it. So it's twofold. It's companies coming out with products and services using buzzwords. We want to know how they are actually differentiating themselves with their product and service, and then those companies that are getting the products and services, why are you getting them? What's it solving for you? What business problem are you trying to solve? Because oftentimes businesses are trying to solve people problems with technology. Mm, interesting. You, you know what I just decided, uh, Tamara and Jim, and I know we're trying to, and Diane, we're trying to get Tom back. Uh, he's he's in Germany and he's on a cell and he's probably trying to get us. I just decided I'm inviting you all back for part two because there's no way we're going to cover everything. See, Jim, there's a madness to my method. We have a lot more to talk about, but let's keep going because we're about six minutes away from our predictions round. Um, let's see. We don't have Tom. So, Diane, oh, no, Jim, Jim, you're next. Jim, thoughts about this very controversial comment made by Tamara McClure? What do you think? Jim Harris? Well, I agree with Tamara. We have this kind of, I love that word du jour. You know, we have this buzzword of the day, and uh, everybody's talking about AI or customer centricity, but they really don't understand how does that have to fundamentally change our company. And uh, a colleague of mine, Don Tapscott, has talked about paving the cow path, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cows take this route, and now, oh, we're going to apply technology to it, so we're going to pave the cow path. <laughs> no, we need to reinvent entirely our processes and the way we work. There's no point in just automating what is a century-old process in our paper-based organization. That's like paving the cow path. We need to completely reinvent how we deal with customers, how we create products, how people inside our organization work together. It's almost like we need to, you know, design the plane while building and flying it. And this is why large, slow-moving incumbent organizations are disrupted. They're trying to pave the cow path. They're trying to do more efficiently what they've always done when really they have to change the rules of the game entirely. We have to start from scratch. And so one strategy is to incubate, yes, but outside Mm -hmm. our organization. I interviewed a guy called James Gosling, who used to work for Sun Microsystems, who Mm -hmm. he led the team that created Java. And when I interviewed him for my last book, he said, you know, we had to go off-site. And I said, why, James? And he said, because otherwise the corporate antibodies would have got to us. Wow. In other words, your existing wow. company lines of business, the power structures, will kill innovation internally because it threatens them. And so Kodak had all the patents for digital photography, but, you know, the guy in charge of uh, photochemicals wasn't really interested in it because his line of business would be dead. And so they died because they were attacked externally when they could have been the drivers of change of the market. Yep. Very, very good points. Thank you. Uh, corporate antibodies. Ouch. Ouch. You just mentioned about an antibiotic. I think you had, had I think it was you mentioned and had that in mind. Tom's not back with us yet, so Diane Hinchcliffe, I'm going to turn to you. Thoughts on what Tamara shared and Jim's comments. Go ahead, Diane. Well, and if you really want to pinpoint um, what is the corporate antibody, it's largely corporate culture. And it's an immune system that, that usually protects the organization. Traditionally, it's been able to throw off things that would, would, would um, disrupt it from its, its track, its productive track for satisfying customers or whatever. Nowadays, in, in the age of almost constant disruption, I think it was, there was a Harvard Business Review uh, research study released last year that said that most executives expect to be disrupted within about the next year. Right, that's the majority. I think it was like 60%. Uh, and so, so we know that we have to find a way, that, without hurting ourselves, to be able to, to move into the future. And so I think that, that you know, patterns like you know, moving your, your new initiative off-site 
uh, work well, uh, but I think that uh, we need to find ways of scaling that up. And that's really, we now see these programs inside organi- uh, organizations to promote innovators, to promote change champions and change agents, people who have great ideas that you can bubble them up quickly and empower them and train them on how to make be successful and drive uh, the organization forward. So I think that's, that's the future. And we have to figure out ways to adapt our culture better to today's operating conditions. Thank you, Diane. Tamara, I'm going to let you take a, a brief comment here on anything that was said by your co-panelists, and then I'm going to bring up one comment from Jim, and then we are officially in the predictions round. So go ahead, Tamara. Bingo. I am so thrilled with my uh, counterparts here. Absolutely love what Jim and Diane shared, because that's it. It's the corporate culture. It's funny, because that is that is the... Uh, the cancerous disease within organizations that will take the organization down because I just have to go on with Jim's, you know, medical pieces with his antibodies and with his antibiotics. But corporate culture, we, we talk about digital transformation and future of work, and we're worried about machines taking our jobs. We have to start looking at what we're wrong between the human relationships. So focusing on corporate culture and that people-to-people um, partnership and relationship has to come first before we can even move into the future of work and digital transformation effectively. Thank you, Tamara. Here we have Tom back, but Tom, I'm moving quickly to get one comment here from Jim Harris's list. I know, Jim, you brought in several of them already, which was great into the conversation, but here's one. I've heard it before. Um, I don't think it's a Jim Harris original, but a, a paraphrase of a very famous comment, and I want you to just explain it for two minutes, and then we have to launch into our predictions round. Jim says, it used to be large companies that dominated small. Now it's the fast that are decimating the slow. Jim, give me a 60-second commentary, please. So, uh, absolutely. You know, it used to be uh, the Fortune 500 companies dominated their small competitors, but now it's fast entrants and fast movers that are decimating slow, large organizations. And so we talked about agility here. Um, and I love Diane's comment about corporate culture. You know, it's really the corporate culture of the large, stable, incumbent organization that's so slow to change. Uh, Peter Drucker used to say that uh, uh, organizational culture eats strategy for breakfast. You oh, know, yeah. so we think strategy is going to be what's driving change. It's actually the stasis of our corporate culture. And so I used to represent a guy called Stephen Covey, who wrote, rep, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh-huh. And at Covey, we felt that if you want to create change, if you want to create cultural change, you have to train every single person in innovation. So it's really not enough that somebody comes away to a conference and they get religion about disruption and then they get back into their organization because they get plugged back into the matrix, right? And it's the matrix that governs. It's corporate culture and that stasis that that doesn't allow people to be uh, creative and innovative. So we need to transform our entire corporate culture, which means we need to train every single person in innovation procedures. It's not just about technology, like Tamara was saying. It's really about changing the way we work together as people, and sure, technology is an enabler. Thank you very much. I almost want to use that as your prediction. If we run out of time, we'll consider the, uh, that your prediction. Okay, everybody, put on your hat. Look into the crystal ball, whatever you're wearing for crystal ball time. Tom Raftery is back. Tom, 60 seconds. I'm predicting that the four of you are coming back in a couple of weeks with me to do another dive into what we started out, which was fluff versus fact. We didn't even get to a lot of the technology terminology because there was a much bigger issue, and I'm very pleased with that. But, Tom, aside from my prediction that you're coming back, I, I need you to tell me what do you think will happen in terms of this bologna versus beef, ignore versus ignite, fluff versus fact, innovation 2018. Tom Raftery, 60 seconds. Keep them tight. Go ahead. What's going to happen in 2018? It's, it's going to be a big year for technology. It's going to be a big year for IoT. It's going to be a big year for lots of the uh, technologies that we mentioned in the, the abstract of the show. Things like machine learning is going to be big. Artificial intelligence is going to really go mainstream this year. Uh, it's going to be infused into everything. 
blockchain. We're going to start to see uh, blockchain uh, demonstrations from large companies in, in, in various different scenarios, everything from finance through healthcare. Uh, we're going to see digital twins becoming a big thing as well in 2018. And there's going to be a huge growth in the creation and transmission of data, which means things like uh, security and privacy are going to be uh, very much coming to the fore in, in people's minds as well. Thank you, Diane Hinchcliffe. I have 60 seconds for you. That's exactly it. Go ahead. What do you predict? Uh, well, let's go out to uh, the, the year 2030. Uh, we actually can see a, a, the effects of a lot of the changes that we have. And uh, it'll be surprising. We'll be amazed that we had these little tiny devices in our, our pockets, these little miniature screens when we'll have completely immersive digital experiences you know, through virtual and, uh, reality and augmented reality that are completely seamless and not bulky like today. Uh, we'll be amazed that we don't didn't have control of our our, our own things like health records um, that they're all closed up and owned by healthcare companies. Things like blockchain and distributed ledgers are going to you know, return trust to these systems and open up the data and give it back to us. Uh, so we'll be enjoying having open access to to records and information of all kinds. And, and it'll be thank it'll be you very much, uh, Tamara. I've, I've got to, I've got to let Tamara get in because we're almost done. We have two minutes left. I'm sorry, Diane. You'll come back and do more. I promise. Tamara, sixty seconds. Actually, forty five. All yours. Short and sweet. Advanced analytics capacity will rip the veil between fluff and fact, so soon there'll be no hiding. We'll know exactly where the beef is. <laughs> Are you good or what? I sit in awe. Nothing else to say. Jim Harris, I saved 45 seconds for you. Actually, 60. Go ahead. Well, Tamara is definitely sweet, and now we know she has the beef, too. So... Uh, predictions. Um, I love we got the quote. It. I, I just love the quote from um, uh, that we overestimate the amount of change we're going to see in two years and dramatically underestimate the amount of change in five or ten. So blockchain was the most mentioned term at Davos this year at the World Economic Forum. But really, we're at the nascent stages of what blockchain is. But blockchain is going to be able to transform our society just the way the Internet or the web has transformed our society. And going back to 1993, when, uh, you know, Mosaic and then Netscape was born, people really had no clue about how much it was going to change our world, how transformative it was going to be. And I feel that's the same state of affairs we're at right now with blockchain. A lot of buzz. You know, in fact, if you look at Gartner, it's at the peak of the hype cycle. But we really don't understand how profoundly this is going to change our world. Jim, thank you very much. I'm going to put a period on the end of that. Thank you very much. Here's my call to action. What a delightful show. Fast and furious. We have so much more to talk about. Please, everybody, just say yes. I'm inviting you for part two. We have to do it. Here's my call to action. And thank you to Aaron, our fearless engineer at World Talk Radio, the business channel. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Tom Raftery, we need a better phone run next time. Dion Hinchcliffe, Tamara McCleary, Jim Harris. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Have a great day. Talk to you next week here on Game Changers Radio. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.